Did you grow up in the 70s, 80s, or early 90s? Then you might want to tune into Gen X Grown Up, the podcast by Gen Xers who refuse to outgrow the things they grew up loving. Join the Gen X Grown Ups each week to talk media, tech, toys, and games from yesterday and today through the eyes of Generation Xers. You can also enjoy their Backtrack episodes, where they choose a single topic, like The Walkman, and dig in deep to discuss why they remember them so fondly. To find their podcast and YouTube channel, go to genxgrownup.com. One day I was sitting down to do some work, my trusty computer, and me. I was aware of my motivation to do the work as well as my resistance to doing it. I had a conversation about this with myself and asked myself, why do I have this debate in my head? What is it I want or am meant to do? What is making me procrastinate? Well, I successfully procrastinated even further. I began to contemplate what was happening in the moment. The sheer fact that I could be aware, aware at all. I thought further, my computer's working, but it doesn't have awareness. It doesn't have experience. It doesn't have consciousness. Or does it? This is your host, Craig James, and you're listening to Big Audacious Idea, the show that invites you to think big. From ancient philosophy to modern science, we'll explore the questions that will shape civilization for years to come. This season on Big Audacious Idea, we examine what it means to be human and ask the questions that sometimes we forget to ask, such as, what is time? Can ethical questions be answered by science? And do we really die? Questions like these help us examine this thing called life and will spark the big audacious ideas of tomorrow. Many say our perception of reality is merely a construct of our mind. Are our perceptions of reality illusions? The introduction to this episode might sound like double talk, but it isn't. To avoid this double speak, Let's begin with a few definitions that will help you understand where we're going with today's conversation. First is consciousness, which Merriam-Webster defines as the quality or state of being aware, especially of something within oneself. In today's episode, we discuss three of the major philosophical debates that surround the idea of consciousness. First, is consciousness within us, or does it exist outside of us? Second, does consciousness die with the body, or does it live on? immortal? And finally, is consciousness individual or collective? The second definition is for reality. Merriam-Webster defines it as something that is neither derivative nor dependent, but exists necessarily. Our final discussion about consciousness brings to the forefront the dichotomy between philosophy and science. Which one can better answer our questions about consciousness? These are real questions. The questions of millennia. Think about it for a moment. The fact that we can be aware, us humans, conscious, it's really quite something. Aristotle said consciousness does not belong to the physical world. As far as we know, rocks are not aware of their surrounding. They don't have consciousness. Rocks don't decide to go for a roll or a stroll to be somewhere else, yet we humans go for a stroll at will. Rocks are just there. But then again, 
are they really there? <laughs> How much do we know about our reality? Hard to say. Consider this. One trillionth of one percent of the universe is visible to us. In terms of time, a million years in one location in the universe equates to a single second elsewhere. Much of what exists is elusive, and in many ways, invisible to us. Today, I'm joined by Gordana Bernat to talk about consciousness, reality, and the future relative to a perception of reality. Let's get into it. This whole thing began with the concept of reality. And is it real? Is it perceived? What are the different types of reality? And reality and the perception of it starts with consciousness. And so it would be wonderful to hear, just for starters, what we mean, or more importantly, what do you mean when you use the word consciousness, Gordana? Well, to me, I mean, consciousness is all that is experiencing itself through each and every one of us as a specific perspective of itself. So for me, consciousness is actually everything, all that is. There is nothing outside of consciousness and everything is made out of consciousness. It is permeating everything. So it's a very, very broad perspective that I have of consciousness. For me, uh, it, it doesn't have to be a person. Consciousness is everything. I mean, nature is conscious. Everything is consciousness to me because it's all about energy. It's about either it's stillness or it is in motion. And when it is in motion, it is perceived by us. But if it is stillness, it is all that is just waiting for a desire to pop up and become something as a reality that we are experiencing. So to, as I said, to me, consciousness is a very broad term or description of reality. So I wonder, does this mean from your perspective that we are all one, we're not necessarily individuals, there's a lot of discussion about we're all connected, and uh, I'm hearing you saying that's part of your perspective, yes? Yes, I think that we are individuals. We are, we are one consciousness experiencing itself through a lot of perspectives. So I am a consciousness experiencing myself through myself. You are consciousness experiencing itself through Craig. And we are interacting, but we, our source is infinite consciousness, which permeates everything. So we are just perspectives of that infinite consciousness. That infinite consciousness had a desire to experience physical reality as Gordana Bjernat, as Craig. So we came into existence because of that desire. And we are experiencing it and sending back information to the infinite consciousness about how it is to perceive physical reality for the first time or how it is to love in physical reality because infinite consciousness or, or all that is knows everything it exists all the time and i think that i was a child when i came up with this idea that it has to be very boring to do that so it creates creative things to experience through perspectives of consciousness as I am and you are so that it will be able to perceive something for the first time again because it's boring to know everything and to exist all the time you have to play hide and seek with yourself and that is what infinite consciousness is doing here playing hide and seek with itself itself through us does it make sense to you Craig 
Well, I'm, I'm hearing a couple different things, and I'm reflecting on some of your writings. If I'm correct, I believe at one point in time in, in your book, Know the Truth, you spoke to some, from a religious perspective, would say God, from a spiritual perspective, source, from a scientific perspective, perhaps the universe or the quantum field, and your language is all that is. Yes, exactly. I call it all that is because it's easier for me to connect to people and talk about all that is. If I say quantum field, they get scared and they, they stop listening to it. But if I say all that is, there's nothing outside of it. It is consciousness, being, everything. It's easier for people to, con people to connect to that. Also, if I say the universe, they connect to it easier. But I think that we're all actually talking about the same thing. I mean, a religious person saying God is everything. I say consciousness is everything or all that is is everything. But we are talking about the same thing. We're just labeling it in, a different, in different ways. One of the things that this makes me think about when we span through different language, maybe for the same thing, but our different viewpoints, I'm fascinated by this whole quantum thing. And it's difficult at times to wrap one's brain around the idea of reality is based on the observer and that a quantum field is a set of probabilities and it doesn't really exist until the observer is part of that thing. So, so what is it? I mean, I'm honestly, I don't understand this quantum thing. What do you understand about it? Well, I understand that, that the quantum field is all possibilities existing at the same time. And it's hard for us as human beings to understand that, that something can exist and not exist at the same time. But that is what quantum theory is talking about, that things exist when you look at them and when you don't look at them, they don't exist. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to grasp a theory like that, but I, I find it fascinating because it does explain all that is containing all that is now. Well, it's fascinating, and I think what it does, too, is it uh, it helps us break out of our, our typical traditional mode of thinking and reference points. And I think it requires us to adopt a viewpoint that even requires us to think of how useful is or isn't language even. We may not even have the language for some of these concepts. Yeah, I think that uh, that is a very, very valid point of view to start looking at the language, because let's say that we talk about fact or proof. We have to define what we mean with the word before we can agree upon a conscious conversation about that word. And I find that to be very, very, I mean, we never do that. We, we assume that everybody has the same meaning in, in one word, for instance, what fact is or proof is. But I think that if we would, we would need to sit down and first define the word and then talk about it. Otherwise, we do not have a conscious conversation we, we, because we don't create space and time around that word that is shared by both parties. We exist in our own time and space because we put a different kind of meaning into that word and we never meet. Our consciences never meet because we talk about different things. We use the same word, but we talk about different things. And I think that is the, the biggest problem when we start talking about abstract concepts as consciousness or God or whatever we want to call it. We might mean the same thing, but we use the word in a, in a way that c creates conflict instead of 
some kind of closure or, or getting nearer to each other's concepts of it. Consciousness. The question of it has been around for a long time. Is it within us or separate from us? Is it collective or individual? Well, language is part of the trick here. Much of what we seek in terms of consciousness and its definition have no words. There's a feeling involved. And even if we use words such as proof or fact, what do those terms really mean? The topic of consciousness itself is a unique conversation. And speaking of conversation, humans can have meaningful, deep conversations if we make the effort. Gordana calls these conscious conversations. In conscious conversations, we need to be open and listen. To listen with the intention to understand. We usually don't pay attention to ourselves, let alone others. In conscious conversations, we need to be open and to listen. To listen with the intention to understand. Yeah, well, a conscious conversation is to be present, to listen to the other person, and not just to listen to your own thoughts, because that is, I think, one of the greatest challenges for most of us, because we don't hear the other person. We do not understand, actually, what the other person is saying, because we're preoccupied with our own thoughts. And then I think that sometimes we actually don't don't understand that there is a good will in the other person we might feel that we are attacked by the other person and we're not because we're not listening to what the other person is saying so i think one of the most important things about having a conscious conversation is the ability to listen to the other person with and looking at the other person with a loving eye so those are one of the key principles of it to have a conscious conversation you have to be present you have to listen and you have to have an open heart when you listen, to, to hear the other person fully. At first, it sounded like I took you off path. But as I listened to your answer, I realized how, how it's very much related to and central to the topic of consciousness. Because in a conversation, we have thoughts, and we have thoughts, and we have feelings. And you're talking about extending oneself into the other and back to consciousness and what is it. I've been reading David uh, Chalmers. I don't know if you know of some of his writings. And I'm still trying to wrap my brain around what he means when he says there's a big difference when we start talking about experience. There's like no scientific data to define what experience is. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, experience, I mean, if, if we didn't experience anything, we wouldn't exist. So the experience is really very, very important in order to feel alive. So for me, it's, it's more about asking yourself, what is reality and what are we experiencing, actually? It's, it's more a question about what reality is and how we are perceiving it and what the experience in the reality is. Many refer to the world out there, outside of our minds, as the physical world, full of objects and events. They make up the raw data that we process. Subjective reality is often referred to as the reality inside our minds. It's the meaning you assign to things. Dreams, thoughts, ideas, and truths are different for each person. It can be argued that objective perspectives are not influenced by emotions or feelings, but that things are based in fact, measurable. However, 
subjective perspectives are open to greater interpretation, more so based on feeling, emotion, and aesthetics. Is one more real than the other? Then there is the argument that there is nothing other than subjective reality, that none of us can know anything other than what we perceive subjectively. We also need to be aware of the differences between feeling and thought. Thinking is of reason. It has a verbal quality. It might be a narrative, sort of an inner speak or speech. We can hear it. But then there's this notion of feeling. It's visceral. It's other senses. I mean, do you think music or do you feel it? You feel it. What is that? I find it very hard to talk about objective reality as something outside of me that is decided by someone else outside of me. It's because our reality is actually very paradoxical in nature. The way I see reality, we are creating and consuming reality now, which means that we are, I mean, we, we are literally creating our own reality, which we consume in the now moment. So it's very hard to talk about anything objective there because you're the one creating everything in your reality by your perception and experience of what you're creating. So the paradox is very hard to talk about and it's even harder to explain to other people how we are doing this paradox thing by creating and consuming at the same time. I don't know if you feel the same thing because if, if we agree upon this, that we are creating our own reality, then we are also the consumers of it, which means that it's very hard to talk about something objective in that because you're the one creating it, which makes it subjective because you're the one doing it <laughs> exactly <I> mean, <laughs> it's it, funny i mean it's funny to talk about it because it, it feels like going round and round like a merry-go-round but that's the only logical way for me to look at it because i am convinced that i am creating everything in my reality i mean it's you asked what do i think the concept of anything and everything that i can perceive to exist internal or external to me on planet Earth or at the end of the universe can only exist, at least as far as I can tell, from my subjective point of view, period. Yes, and that's that's exactly the same thing as I feel. I mean, if I don't see it, then I can't talk about it because it doesn't exist in my reality, which means that everything I look at becomes a subjective experience of what I'm looking at. And this is where it gets so tricky because this is where I think language is incapable of certain concepts. I read one of your posts, and I believe you were pondering as a child. You were trying to imagine the end of the universe. Like, when does it finally, oh, I'm finally there. And you were pondering, then what's after that? <laughs> I, I don't, you know, maybe we just haven't evolved to the point where we can conceptualize these things. I don't think we can. We won't be able to do that because it, it becomes the paradox stops us from doing that. I remember doing this as a child and I remember how I roamed the universe in my mind and I tried to find it. And every time I thought I reached the edge, more and more galaxies, more and more stars came up in my mind. And I was thinking, this is my imagination. It's endless. It's infinite. I think that the real world would probably show me something else. So I ran to the window and I looked outside and I looked at the stars and I thought, no, it's the same thing. It's like looking into my mind. And then that's when it hit me. My mind and the stars out there are made of the same stuff. The universe and my mind are made of the same stuff. 
And that's when it becomes paradoxical because it's inside and outside at the same time. And it's very hard to talk about that because you need, I think art would show it much easier or poetry would show it much easier, but talking about it in, in logical ter- in a logical way, it's, it's very difficult to do that. It's a feeling, it's a hunch, it's an, an insight, but it's very hard to put words into it because words are limiting. They won't allow you to go around that paradox. It's very interesting. I have a a friend who's very strong in his beliefs religiously. His point of view calls upon a complete trust and faith, and it's not something that is written, calculated, or data collected and conveyed. I wonder, do we sometimes have to just not have the answer, be comfortable with the unanswered or unanswerable? Again, if maybe you don't have the answer in words, but you can have the answer in a feeling or in a thought which is wordless, You don't have to form sentences with the answer. Sometimes you simply know the answer, but you can't verbalize it. And it's still an answer. Love is that kind of an answer. I mean, you can't, sometimes you can't verbalize love, but it's there. It's very tangible and you can feel it. So as we become more self-aware of what we think or feel, we begin to realize that knowing something is more of a feeling more than a thought, I think. It might be that knowing is the more accurate connection with reality, where it takes some trust. You just know it. You don't report it or calculate it, you just know. Now we want to look toward the future of this conversation about consciousness. Sometimes that means going back into the past. A few things come to mind when contemplating the intersection of conscious thought from the past into the future, and especially in the now. How do our memories serve us? Is our reality an illusion? And how can we practically apply these universal principles of consciousness to our everyday lives? I spoke with Gordana about these ideas. Well, I would like to ask you, because I read one of the questions and you asked me, is reality an illusion? And I would ask you, what do you perceive as an re- illusion? Can you define illusion to me? I think illusion is a miscalculation. I'm careful with my words. You think something, perceive something, but it isn't reality in relative terms. To explain a bit further, Evidently, our, even our sensory apparatus can only see so much. You walk into a room, you feel energy. You, there's a field, but you can't, you can't measure it, you can't see it. So there's a lot that happens that we don't even see. Not only is the idea of illusion maybe a miscalculation in relative terms, I think illusion could be also just missing it, simply not being able to see it. You talk about calculation a lot, and I wouldn't say that illusion is a miscalculation. I would, I would say that everything we experience here is actually an illusion derived from all that is, because we are choosing to see it, because everything is a perspective of something. So if you're experiencing it as a short thing or as a long thing, it, it, it's about how long you've lived to see it, but it doesn't make it an illusion. It makes it a reality for you because you see it as a short thing or as a long thing. It's, an, it's a reality for you. It's not an illusion. I don't know if I'm making sense to you when I say that. Here's a couple of things. 
the gift of knowing you is that, dare I say it this way, when things don't make sense, quote unquote, from you, I know we're onto something because <laughs> your insights are, I think, some of the thinking that the future will embody more and more, and maybe in some ways we're going back to the past, allowing ourselves to be open and actually not get stuck in our so great grand thoughtfulness. We're so smart. We have science that we might actually close ourselves off. Yes, because you're talking about belief systems. You're using science as the, the ultimate truth. And to me, science is a lot of theories about things that we think we know and believe. One of the belief systems being that science is the ultimate truth because we can prove it. And I put prove into quotation marks because we can't prove anything. So one of the things that uh, struck me as we were talking, you said you, what you experience. And I like to go back to the what is you and who is you? Is there such thing as an individual you? And if you, one dies, is you gone? Mm, well, it's a tricky thing to answer if you is gone when you die. If you, because I feel that since I am someone experiencing something, that means that I exist and I am. And you are because you have a different perspective on this reality. So we, of course, there are individuals, but we are all the same consciousness experiencing itself through different perspectives, being you or me. But of course, there are individuals. You feel that you're separate from me, don't you? I thank you for asking. I do in a sense, in a sense and I don't in a sense. I sense, I can't calculate, that we've been connected outside of time and space and are connected in a way that is non-physical. Yes, we are connected, and that's what I was aiming at, because we come from the same source. We are all from all that is the consciousness experiencing itself. And you and I are connected because we happen to have the same frequency. That is why I can see you, and you can see me, and we can connect to each other. We, we, we can experience each other's realities, and we co-create a reality together, either through Skype or we meet in Krakow, as we did. And I feel that that is what you feel when you say that you are separate from me, but at the same time, you're also connected to me because we are connected to each other through our frequency. Could you help me understand what you mean by frequency again? Well, if everything in this universe is energy vibrating at different frequencies, everything I'm looking at, I'm only decoding frequencies. Actually, I don't see the room I'm sitting in. I am decoding a frequency telling me information, telling me that this is a room and this is where I'm sitting and I'm having books around me and a table and an iPad in my knee. It's all information vibrating at different frequencies. That's what I mean by frequency. Thank you. I love the word information even more now. I grew up in IT, but uh, thanks to Margaret Wheatley and her reference to Information meaning in formation. Everything is forming and changing constantly. And you're helping me see the connection between frequency and change and creating a reality. That's very interesting. Before we were talking about perceiving a reality, is it an illusion? What I'm hearing you saying now is, is you're decoding and creating your reality based on frequency. Yeah. 
Because if I have a specific frequency, then the field, the quantum field outside of me will react to that frequency and it will give me more of my own frequency because my frequency tells the universe, all that is, quantum field, God, what I actually want to perceive. That is how it is selected from all that is. And that is changeable because I can change my frequency. I can be more happy or more sad, or I can have a, a different desire to experience something. All of these things change my frequency because I am in constant formation. Outside of making one's brain hurt a lot, if we allow it to tickle our brain, perhaps, versus hurt it, it is fun to allow and be open to things that we can't quite imagine. And you talk quite a bit about the now is the only thing that exists, the only thing we have. Not only perception of external, internal, but past, present, future. Anything we can imagine about the past is only happening now. Yes, because, I mean, it isn't there unless you think about it. And the thinking happens within you so you can only do it in the now moment when you think about it the past is recreated in your mind and you can go back to it and look at it but you can only do it now i mean you can't exist in the past because it's all it's already been you collect it and save it in your memory and then you can go back to it in the now moment it's mind-boggling when you think about it because it doesn't exist unless you choose to think about it you are the one attaching feelings to that memory in the now moment, which gives you a lot of power to change things if they didn't please you in your past. You have memories for a good reason, because I assume that we live in a friendly universe and everything in it is for your benefit. So if you go back to a bad memory and you look at it and you explore the feelings, and look for the strengths you had in that memory. And then you just take the strengths from that memory with you into the now moment. It actually changes your future because it changes something within you in the now moment. And that's why we have memories. It's not there to be a heavy burden which you are supposed to drag along into the future. It is there for you to use as a booster in order to create a new future for you because we are creating our own reality all the time it doesn't matter if we are aware of it or if we are thinking good thoughts or, or bad thoughts we are creating our reality with what we think in the now moment which means that if you can use a memory to boost your future you can change your future now if you had encouragement for our listeners to do or not do something as they strive to be open to big audacious ideas and new thinking, what would you recommend? I would recommend people to get to know themselves and understand themselves because I usually say that you attract things of the same frequency as you. So ask yourself how conscious of what you really want are you? You have to become conscious of who you are and what you want in this reality in order to get the reality you dream about and want the old you get what you put out there huh yes yes that's the old one you can't get around that one <laughs> well gordana it's been such a pleasure having you on the show you're a bright light you have such amazing insight and magnetic energy it's just been wonderful chatting with you thanks so much we have a choice we can tune into positive and friendly vibrations or we can attract negative ones 
Cordana helps us realize that the future is up to us. And our individual futures depend on what and how we think, the energy we emit and attract, and the frequencies we embrace. What did we discover here? In part, we learned that there are no easy answers or magic formulas. Sometimes things don't have scientific or formulaic explanations. We learned that at times, we simply need to trust, feel, embrace, and be open. So as we've delved into heavy topics such as life, death, and consciousness, well, we still need to make a living, put food on the table, and shelter our families. This usually takes money. Next week, we take the topic of money to a new level and expand a discussion around it with Seth Godin, a New York Times bestselling author and one of the most prevalent thought leaders of today. We talk not just about money, but the idea of exchange of value, how humans define and trade value has had many historic shifts throughout time. Tune in next week to learn more. This is your host and co-executive producer, Craig James. You've been listening to Big Audacious Idea, the show that invites you to think big. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps. A special thank you to my co-executive producers, Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, Bridget Coyne. Editor, Julie Fink. Audio engineers, Eric Coltnow and Andrew Balserzak. Music director, David Allen Moss. Writers, Bridget Coyne, Madeline Coyne, and Craig James. Big Audacious Idea is a production of Evergreen Podcasts and Front Porch Media. Find us on your favorite podcast app or go to evergreenpodcasts.com. Big Audacious Idea. See the big picture. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.